I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as um, simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more know, doors. The show is called The Deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Welcome to the College Football Survivor Show, where playoff survival is always on the line. Here are your co-hosts, Doug Maurice and Shahan Jeharaja. And we're back. Thanks, you guys, for joining us. As always, we're going to talk a lot about Tennessee on this episode, Shahan, because uh, Tennessee's good, and I think we need to figure out how good because they are getting to play Bama and Georgia, which is a heck of a way to turn the season upside down. So beating Bama um, already did that. Georgia, a few weeks from now, trying to zero in on th- this is sort of one of the fun things about this Shahan when a team comes kind of from out of nowhere is trying to decide how good is the good nobody's questioning whether Tennessee is good but is it national championship caliber good is this LSU 2019 kind of discussion level and I like trying to figure out levels when a team jumps up like this yeah, many people are saying it uh, It feels like 98. I wouldn't know. I was only four years old. But, uh, you know, I think that this feels like uh, a, you know, much later version of what I imagine 98 might feel like. So uh, it's definitely going to be interesting to get into the weeds there. You know, they have so many good data points, obviously, with this Alabama win. But, uh, you know, definitely haven't been perfect this year, kind of like how the LC team was. Yeah, th- we have. there's some good stats about, we know they can chuck it around. We know Hendon Hooker's awesome. We know they have a bunch of guys who can catch the ball. But defensively, where are they? Are they good enough? Are they not good enough? And, and that'll be an interesting dive there, and we'll get to that in a few minutes. But first, of course, we always kick teams out and let teams in. We have 10 teams at this very second in our playoff discussion, Shahan. Two were off last week, Ohio State and UCLA. Four of them won. See if I can do it off the top of my head. Georgia. Tennessee, Michigan, and Clemson, and four of our contenders lost. Alabama, Oklahoma State, USC, and Penn State. So those four losing teams I put out to our Twitter followers. Again, if you guys want to be able to vote on who's who's out and who should be in every week, you can do that if you follow us on Twitter at CFB Survivor Show. But I want to ask you this big picture question, Shahan. When you look at those four losing teams, Alabama, obviously losing to Tennessee. USC loses by a point to Utah. Oklahoma State loses in double overtime to TCU. And then Penn State gets blown out by Michigan. Did those, did, which of those games fundamentally altered how you viewed the losing team? Is it just I mean, one? It, it's, it has to be just one, right? Because, you know, you you talk about how close all of those games were down the stretch. Uh, like you mentioned, I was at TCU-Oklahoma State. That was a three-point game in overtime that really Oklahoma State probably should have won on the road, even with some injuries. Uh, you know, the Alabama game, they have an opportunity to kick a field goal win the game. They miss the field goal. Like, okay. You know, huge win for Tennessee. Great. Uh, you know, but, but I don't think that that changed how I viewed them. And, uh, you know, the USC game, right? Like, you you just see Utah convert on a two-point conversion because they're gutsy. And if this goes to overtime, they probably win the game. So, like, no, I think think that there's only one. And (laughs) during the game last week, I think that it was actually after they scored their first touchdown even, I just tweeted out, man, with Penn State... I I just when I watch them I I don't know what the point is. Like what is what am I what am I supposed to take from this? What is the point of this? What are they trying to do? What is the plan? And th- I mean this is always my concern coming into the year with Penn State, but it was just in so many ways it came to fruition. Obviously, I mean they they finished with like 10 first downs the entire game, which is just unbelievable. They score they have to score uh, I believe it was a defensive touchdown just to, yeah, a pick six just to be able to score 17 points. Like Michigan's good, but it was I mean just what's the point Penn State? What are we doing here? You you compared them to Iowa. 
I believe, which <laughs> a is, little bit. That is that's mean. First of all, I don't think any of James Franklin's kids are on the staff, so that's one way that Iowa Credit and Penn State are different. And second of all, I mean that is. I don't like Iowa. I don't even think tries to score. Penn State tries to score. I think it's right, interesting right. because er, early, in, I think it was even the Purdue game on that opening Thursday or Thursday or Friday night at Purdue, where I think Drew Aller got a little action. The the freshman backup quarterback, and I was like, James Franklin has a decision to make here, right? We were talking right. sort of coming into the season, the Cade Club Nick DJ Uyunglele decision at Clemson. I thought Sean Clifford and Drew Aller was sort of the northern version of that. DJU has clearly taken over that job, and nobody's talking about Cade Club Nick at Clemson right now. He'll be the quarterback eventually, but not right now. And then Sean Clifford, as the sixth year veteran starting quarterback was doing Sean Clifford things while Penn State was winning, while they went and won at Auburn, right? While they beat Central Michigan and Northwestern and teams like that. And it was like, you know what? This guy is is doing everything he can. He kind of hobbles around. He's got a limited skill set, but he knows what's up. Like, he's playing winning football. I, I, I've, you know, you certainly sort of question the ceiling of Sean Clifford, but I sort of got back in on, you know what? Just like see if you can get through with great defense and this guy not making mistakes, and then you get in a game like that. And Drew Aller got a little action at the end and didn't do anything really, right? So, but it makes you think like, okay, if your question right now is what's Penn State doing? Well, what they're doing is they're going to go to Drew Aller next year, a five-star quarterback who I don't know if he'll start to get some run now this season, but it was almost like Sean Clifford was good enough to say, okay, well, no, hang on to that. And then they got to Michigan. It was like, oh, no. Your offense is not at the level to hang in a game like this, and so. But at least there's a, at least there's an answer on the roster, Shahan. It just is not going to put them in a position to compete at the playoff level this year. I mean, that was of the of the, the four teams we're talking about. They were the team that clearly showed everybody like they're they're not at this level. They're not at this level right now because their offense can't keep up. Right. I, I think what's so confusing to me is you have Mike Yersich, who I think has been good at his previous stops, right? Multiple previous stops. You have Kirk Soraka, who was good at Minnesota and then has come back to Minnesota and been pretty good. So, like, I don't think it's a, you know, obviously it's not a hiring Brian Ferentz thing, right? You know, and obviously they were good uh, when they had Joe Moorhead, but I, I just don't – I don't know. It feels like one of those things with James Franklin where the pieces all feel good. The, like the – it feels like they have a pretty good quarterback in Sean Clifford. It feels like they have, you know, some legit running backs. They've got some good receivers. And it just – I don't know why, even from a coaching perspective, it always seems to come to less than the sum of its parts offensively. I don't get it. I, I don't know what it is. I think the offensive line has been an issue for a couple of years now. But, I mean, come on, it's been a while. Why, why is it like this? No, I, I get that. Um, there does, there's, some of it is like they're, they're trying to do it a certain way. They're 67th in EPA offensively per game right now, which is not very good. That's not playoff level. They did, I mean, early in James Franklin, he, you know, he recruited Trace McStrolley at Vanderbilt and then brought him to Penn State. And it was like, okay, and it's like this guy, this type of guy, dual threat, run the ball a lot. Make a you know zip a couple throws over the middle, scrappy whatever, you know, kind of a smaller guy, but like a run first quarterback almost, or certainly a run threat. And then Joe Moorhead again, it was really good offensive coordinator, got the most out of that. And then they've been kind of searching, like they've really gone to Clifford since then, and Clifford's a lesser version of that. And they haven't been able to get over the over the top with quarterback recruiting. But again, like they did now, so. I, it, it, this will be a great test next year for Penn State when a lot of these skill guys are back. The defense is the defense, which is pretty darn good. And do they become a different kind of team when Drew Raller is the quarterback? But for now, they're out, right? Like, I no just, doubt in your mind, they're the yeah, team. Yeah, no doubt in my mind. Clearly, clearly the team out. I think for me, I'm just always very wary of just playing quarterback roulette and just being like, well, no, the next guy is going to be. And I, I oh, know no, how but good they haven't had a guy like I, this. This is new. This I, is I new. know. Will Levis was on their roster and now he's supposed to be a first round draft pick. Like, I don't know. Like, I, I think that Drew Aller's that good. And I think he's going to improve that roster. And I think he's going to improve that offense. But I just hate playing quarterback roulette i just hate it when you think that a quarterback's gonna come in and solve everything they're probably not i will tell you that is a great point they had will levis and they used him as like a battering ram 
They were right. they just were like a it was like almost like a wildcat quarterback just get in and will ram you right. into the line a couple times and they could not see through things to figure out that he should be the guy. That actually is quite a failure. <laughs> oh yeah, no, that's right. Hey, well, it's not their fault they don't have a quarterback. But what about the guy who was their backup who left and is now a future first rounder? Oh yeah, no, that was pretty bad actually. Like it, it if they had Will bad, Levis right man. now, if they had Will Levis. Yeah, and that's the thing. That's the hard thing. Again, we've had this discussion a lot of times. When your head coach is your offensive guru, it can't leave you. They really miss Joe Moorhead, and they've missed Joe Moorhead since right. he left to be the head coach at Mississippi State, and then he was the offensive – got fired there, was the offensive coordinator at Oregon. Now he's a head coach in the MAC. Like, it's hard. It's hard. And I, I do think James Franklin's like a good program coach in a totally. lot of ways, but but like well, getting and, over and the top with the offensive scheme is tough. That that's the thing too. Is like I feel like he's hired good guys, even offensively, right? I think that Mike Yersich is good. He's been good at multiple stops before working with quarterbacks. So I don't know. Like it, it feels like guys come there, and Joe Moorhead's maybe the exception, but it feels like guys come to James Franklin offensively, and then they aren't like I don't know if it's meddling. I don't know if it's I, I don't know what it is. Like I I really don't. So. Uh, it'll be interesting. I mean, again, Drew Aller is that dude. He should be that good. Um, but, you know, they they got to continue to build up sort of the pieces around him to the level where, you know, he can be ready to come in and contribute and and hopefully be that guy. Because I'll tell you what, it, as somebody who, just to be clear, does not especially care one way or the other about Penn State, it is frustrating to see them feel like they're making progress and then just see a game like they played against Michigan and be like, oh, no, this is this is just nothing this is pointless no it's it's odd because it's it's basically like the whole james franklin tenure was trace mcsorley and sean clifford so it's like you can't that's not much of an evaluation period now i guess he he had james uh he inherited um christian hackenberg when he first got right. there and that and that that didn't work out um for anybody. So he did have Hackenberg early, but then like McSorley was sort of his kind of guy. Um and then it's been Sean Clifford since like 2019. So like it's like four years of Sean Clifford, who is fine, but you're 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 not competing at this level, which is the level we but I thought they looked pretty good. They did a lot of good things early in the year. You know, like can they be a team that the defense carries them? No. You're still limited to that. I like their skill, guys. It's not good enough. They're out. It's not even close. You say Penn State. I say Penn State. The Twitter followers, 67.2% voted to kick out Penn State. 13.4% said Oklahoma State. 11.5% said kick out Bama. And 8% said kick out USC. Uh, Real quick on USC. I thought actually I like USC more after the loss. I thought I had questions about, like, how good is USC's offense really? They're all about turnovers. But then they went out and they just stacked touchdowns against Utah. So that's a loss where I gained more respect, I think, for USC. And Bama, Bryce Young reminded you of how spectacular he is. And it took spectacular quarterback play on the other side from Hendon Hooker and a home crowd uh, to beat that team. So I think I, I have more respect for Bama after the loss. And I don't know that I have more respect for Oklahoma State because they were ahead and they blew it, and you watched it. So, like, what? Yeah. What did you think of how? What? How, what do you? So Oklahoma State. So, so the thing is here. So Oklahoma State, USC, and Alabama with those losses are all going to remain in our playoff discussion. What yes. was your takeaway of Oklahoma State after that loss that they were ahead and they let TCU get back in it? I mean, the big thing is, you know, just frankly. I still think Oklahoma State is a better team than TCU. Uh, you can't waste opportunities when, especially you're not an Alabama, a Georgia, who knows they can just run through the rest of their schedule. So th- their path got a lot harder now that they have a loss. And especially since they have uh, a loss against one of the teams that should be a quality win on their schedule. But I, I think that for me, you know, I Oklahoma State was about what I thought they were. TCU kind of needed some real heroics down the stretch. They needed like their NFL receiver to put together a 180 yard type game. Like, I, I think that the Oklahoma State loss went right in line with the USC loss to Utah and the Alabama loss to Tennessee. Of like, man, 
the opponent just had to like put together the game of their life and uh and and also by the way all three of these games ended in a field rush because like it was such an effort to to just be able to beat all three of these teams and the home teams won and yes the home teams won up yes winning. yeah um i do think the paths remain for all three of those teams bama frankly i mean it the loss really doesn't matter at all for bama yeah because they still are in control of their own destiny um, in the division. And if they win the SEC title game, of course, they're in the playoff, right? So as long as they win out, of course, they're in. There's no doubt about that. They've lost the wiggle room. If you thought maybe where it matters is if you thought there was a world where undefeated Bama, undefeated Georgia, and the SEC title game means they both get in, that's probably out the door for Alabama. Although, again, last year, Bama was in this spot. They lost a regular season game to Texas A&M. They go into the SEC title game. They win. They're fine. But I, there were people sort of after that game saying, ah, I think Bama should have made it as a two-loss team, even with a loss. So it really is not affecting Bama all that much. And I do think, Shahan, I guess, I mean, certainly if Oklahoma State or USC are one-loss conference champs, they're in the thick of it. They're in the discussion. If they were undefeated conference champs, they would have been in for sure. So everybody loses wiggle room. But but when we talk about paths and why we still talk about teams in our playoff contender discussion, Oklahoma State and USC steer, still clearly have that. And like you said, they still they still both might clearly be the actual two best teams in those conferences. Yeah, I think so. And you know the the nice thing for both these teams too is that uh it's 1v2 in the conference championship game so they might have chances to avenge their losses as well and you know when when uh you know just to go back to when when you know I did the the mock selection committee i mean people in the room really were kind of like hey you know if if you beat the team who beat you earlier in the year like i'm not saying that it doesn't count but it means a lot to be able to go back and beat that team a second time, you know? So, uh, so I think that both of them are very much in the thick of things. It's going to be interesting down the stretch. Cause I do, you know, obviously I think <clears throat> you do expect a 12 and one team, if not multiple 12 and one teams to make the field. So, you know, I think that they give themselves a chance and, uh, and nothing has really changed too much for them. Okay. Can they handle future national champion Tennessee though, if they get in that playoff, that's what we'll do next talking about the Vols on the College Football Survivor Show. Don't miss the College Football Survivor Show bonus episode this week. Available only on Apple Podcasts. I love Daquan Finn. Toledo played Ohio State. I watched him in person. He's a Big Ten quarterback. He's that caliber. He's totally electric and also totally poised. There have been a lot of quarterbacks that have come into Ohio Stadium and have shrunk in the moment, and that dude rose to the moment. So I totally believe in that guy as a quarterback. The Toledo pick was for me, and the UTSA pick was to stick it to you. Can you just tell me where you had UTSA on your list? Did you, <laughs> were you thinking pretty high, or were you waiting to get them in the teens? Yeah, I mean, I thought that I'd get them a little further down. I thought that we'd still kind of be reaching for playoff contenders at, at like an attempt to get three points. But, uh, I mean, listen, those are, those are about as close to sure things for two points that you're going to find on the board left. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts for exclusive College Survivor Show bonus episodes. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as uh, simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. And during the break, Shahan reminded me that I forgot how our show works. So we kicked Penn State out. We were so excited to dispatch the Nittany Lions that I was like, eh, forget about adding a team. And Shahan whispered, uh, don't we need to pick a team to go in? I was like, oh, no, we do need to do that. We do have contenders. And, I, and just because you watched them, you're like, hey, I watched TCU do this. Shouldn't they be in? I put TCU out to the, the, the Twitter followers as one of the teams to get voted in. Our, our Twitter followers, Shahan, are finicky. They are tough. They are they are they really want you to earn a spot in our discussion. TCU at now six and zero with wins over Oklahoma State, Kansas, Oklahoma, SMU, sixty eight point eight percent yes. 
TCU should join the playoff discussion. 31.2% no. Do you think they should be in, Shahan? Because they got to get at least one more vote from me or you. I do. You know, th- three straight wins, like you mentioned, against <clears throat> AP top 25 opponents in Oklahoma State, Kansas, and Oklahoma. Now, Kansas and Oklahoma have fallen out of the polls since then, but, you know, pretty impressive wins going on the road and beating Kansas with Jalen Daniels. Oklahoma, obviously, that was a huge victory where they mostly had Dylan Gabriel, and Oklahoma's looked like a different team with Dylan Gabriel in the lineup, and, and they still managed to kind of dispatch them. So, I think that they deserve to be in after this win over Oklahoma State. I think they're right this second in the driver's seat of the Big 12 race. We're going to figure out real quick because this upcoming week, they also have Kansas State, who only has one loss and is also undefeated in Big 12 play. Which, by the way, that is just an unfair stretch. They're playing in consecutive weeks. Number 16, Oklahoma. Number 19, Kansas. Number 6, Oklahoma State. Now number 17, Kansas State. That is that is just not fair. That is really, really tough. But uh, if they, you know, I, I think they deserve to be in. And, uh, you know, we'll get to kind of figure out whether they stay in the field this upcoming week. Well, we're going to have this discussion with Tennessee. There's There's a bunch of teams, though, that are pretty darn good offensively right now and just can't stack up defensively tcu epa uh per game offensively they're ninth they're 57th defensively when you watch tcu max duggan running that offense works can they stop people like can they stop they got texas coming up like you said they have kansas state they have some they've the big 12 is good can they stop teams enough to really be a playoff contender do you think or or even or or no we're not going to stop them but we're going to outscore them and win every game in the 40s yeah it's interesting i think that one thing to look at is oklahoma state scored 14 yard or, or 14 uh points in the first two drives of the game and then they scored another one in the second quarter other than that, they were held without a touchdown in the entire second half as as uh, TCU made their comeback. You know, I thought I think they really did a good job of adjusting to Oklahoma State in the second half. Uh, I, I believe they held them to twelve points total in the second half. Um, no, sorry, six points total in the entire second half. Just a pair of field goals. Then obviously they scored two. T- uh, uh, they scored ten points in the overtimes, but. I, I think that they're good enough situationally to give themselves a chance. And, you know, obviously when you're talking about a 43-40 game, it looks like a lot of points, right? But I think that, you know, you really have to contextualize how that happened. They scored actually the other touchdown uh, was on a short field, I believe, after a muffed punt. So, like, I think they can be fine. They're not a great defense by any means, but I do think that they are a little bit in that Tennessee vein of, you know what, we just make stops at the right times. We can compete. We can make things difficult enough. And, you know, we can cause enough issues that our offense can take advantage of it. All right, so TCU is in. We all agree on that. Twitter followers, Shahan, me, we all think they deserve to be in. I will say I held off on, I'm still kind of banging the drum for Oregon a little bit. I did not put Oregon up for a vote this week because they host UCLA. On Saturday, UCLA is in our playoff discussion, and if Oregon beats UCLA, we will be back here in a week, I think, putting Oregon back in our discussion as a one-loss team uh, with only that early blowout to Georgia. So no Oregon discussion now, but what about Ole Miss? 7-0, beat Kentucky in a game where Kentucky probably looked like the better team. Not really any other good win, Shahan, but I do remember, I think in the preseason, I took Ole Miss as one of my teams with our uh, fake money, but I think they're over under for wins with seven and a half and they're seven and zero. Oh. So I think they're exceeding expectations. Do they belong here yet? Or do they have to beat Bama to get in? Like, is that their only entry point because they're just not going to be able to prove it otherwise? I don't think they have to beat Bama to, to make it in, but they have to be a little more interesting than what they are right like this past week they let auburn really really stick around into the second half of that game i mean it was a it was a 41 34 game in the fourth quarter and like auburn is not good auburn is really 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 bad and the week before they went down 2010 against vanderbilt like i don't think that this is an especially great team like you mentioned they have that win over can over Kentucky where Will Levis was a little hurt and then he fumbled the ball and that's it that's the only thing that they've done this entire year is have Will Levis fumble the ball and 
even this next week they go to LSU, I think if they won that by a lot, then I'd feel okay about that. Then they go to Texas A&M, and I don't know if Texas A&M's all that good, but if they're able to move the ball, maybe that's something. Like, I don't think it has to just be beating Alabama to get in, but I don't know. What have they done so far? They haven't done anything worth talking about, and I don't think they've looked that impressive in any of their games this year either. Yeah. 11th in offense, 47th in defense and EPA, but just not the schedule to get them there. So you're a no, I'm a no. Close, though. 44% yes from the Twitter followers, 56% no. So not yet for Ole Miss. And there's one more team I I put in here just because I do think they deserve to be talked about. And again, if they win this coming Saturday, we will be back here in a week having a very, I think, serious discussion about currently undefeated Syracuse. They've beaten NC State. They've beaten Purdue. They've beaten Louisville. You know, that's those are some sneaky okay wins in there, right? NC State last week was without Devin Leary, right? So I mean, that's that's you got to take that into account for sure. But we thought we had NC State as a as a preseason playoff contender here, and Syracuse just beat them. Now they're playing Clemson on Saturday. Six and zero Syracuse. It's not getting there for the Twitter followers. It's nineteen percent. Yes. 81% no, but how close is Syracuse to to maybe really earning a spot here, Shahan? I mean, honestly, I think the only thing that Syracuse can do to get into this field is to beat Clemson. And, uh, you know, they like you said, they have some really nice wins this year. They are a good story, man. Like, they were expected to maybe be the worst team in the ACC Atlantic, and they have put things together. Like you said, they didn't just beat Louisville. They, they crushed Louisville 31-7, to and Louisville's not great, but to beat them like that I think is a big deal. Uh, you know, they beat Purdue. I think that's a win that's only aging better. NC State last week, 24-9. to I mean, that's that's really, really solid. I think that they're looking for their moment. They're looking for their helmet win. They're looking for that signature victory. Uh, they're going, again, on the road against Clemson this upcoming week. That's going to be, I think, a very difficult game. But Clemson is very beatable. I, I don't think that they're, you know, another level. And when you look at the way that uh, Syracuse is playing defensively, I think that they can get after DJ just a little bit. So I, I think that that's what it's going to take. So maybe, you know, I really hope, I, I really do hope next week we're having a discussion of what Syracuse in the field. Clemson, Notre Dame, Pitt, Florida State. That's their next month. So, you know, that's not Georgia, Alabama, Tennessee, but those are those are good games. And so, I mean, yeah. again, oh, well, all they have to do is get to 10 and 0. And then it's well, okay. But, you know, there, there's some opportunity out there. The ACC, again, then Wake Forest at the end of that, too. Sam Hartman. I mean, yeah, yeah. you know, the, the ACC the ACC has turned out to be not great again, but I think there's more solid teams. There's good quarterback play, as we've talked about a million times. So I think there's like interesting teams that you can earn some respect. So um, definitely worth watching on Saturday that who would have thought before the season that Clemson Syracuse was that big of a deal noon at Clemson on ABC. It deserves your attention. So that brings us. And again, as I remember how the show works, that does bring us back to 10 teams in our mix. We had 10 coming in. We kicked out Penn state. We added TCU. And now we can talk about Tennessee Shahan, because this is a team that again, we added them in like, I think about in week three, and when you look at, again, EPA, it's a it's a metric that takes a lot of things into consideration. It's a nice um, way to analyze offenses and defenses. Among the best teams in the country, there, there are only four, five. There are five that are in the top 25 in both offense and defense by the EPA per game metric. Ohio State is first in offense and 12th in defense. Georgia is fifth in offense and seventh in defense. Michigan is eighth in offense and first in defense. Alabama is 18th in offense and fifth in defense. And then Tennessee is sixth in offense and 25th in defense. So I think, Shahan, as we try to talk about Tennessee, can they, could they win it all? Can they make the playoff? Can they beat Georgia? Can they be more than just a team that upsets Alabama at home and storms the field. When you look at some of these other teams, USC is third in offense. They're 79th in defense. Oregon is fourth in offense. They're 109th in defense. TCU is ninth in offense. They're 57th in defense. 
Old Miss is 11th in offense. They're 47th in defense. And then Clemson's 22nd in defense. They're only 45th in offense, right? So I think you say, is their defense good enough, especially their pass defense? And we'll dig into that a little bit more. But the general overall question, is Tennessee's defense good enough? Because the offense is electric. And Hendon Hooker is amazing. And we're going to talk about their receivers that they line up. Is your initial instinct, yes, the defense is good enough, or is it more like, no, this defense, which did not stop Bama, this defense is going to hold them back, and it's going to mean they can't beat Georgia, and it's going to mean maybe they lose another game along the way they shouldn't lose, and all of a sudden, Tennessee's not going to be in our discussion anymore. So I think that I'm concerned about Tennessee's defense versus Ohio State, but that's like every defense i'm concerned against ohio state everybody else i i feel okay about it i don't feel amazing i don't think that their defense is going to step up and win them games but it's kind of like what i was talking about with tcu right it's about playing situational football can you get stops in key spots can you prevent uh some drives from from turning into touchdowns one thing and, and you know this is an offensive stat but they i believe have scored Every time that they've been in a goal-to-go situation, they've scored a touchdown, which is just so important, right, to to finish drives. And I think that if you can kind of have that flip side, right, if you can if you can be a team that finishes drives with touchdowns and hold situationally some other teams to field goals, you feel okay about that, right? Like, I, I think if you're Tennessee and if you move the ball the way that you do – you live with some of the consequences when it comes to giving up yards on the other side, as long as you can keep points at a respectable level. It is a similar conversation with Tennessee and Ohio State. They are um, the top two teams in the nation other than the service academies. It's funny when you go through like yards per attempt in the passing game, and it's like armies tied for first, and it's like our Air Force is tied for first. Like well, they've thrown like forty five <laughs> right, right. passes the whole year. But I think Tennessee is first, and Ohio State's third in yards per attempt. So they're going to get after you. They're going to be aggressive in the passing game. They have multiple receivers they can attack you with. Is their defense good enough? Oh, that's the whole conversation with Ohio State the whole year. When you look at the EPA um, pass defense, Ohio State's is significantly better than Tennessee's pass defense particularly EPA, Ohio State's 23rd, Tennessee is 111th, but I also, and I know EPA takes it, all these advanced stats, they take into account everything, but I do think that's not quite right for Tennessee, and there's two reasons for that. One is they haven't really had their guys for everything. So Warren Burrell was like their veteran corner coming into the year. I think people had some questions about him. He's actually out for the year now. So people, I think, wondered if he was good enough, but he's a veteran guy who's gone. But when you look at Alabama, they were missing um, Kamal Haddon in that game, who has kind of emerged as their best corner. He's going to be back, but he didn't play against Alabama, which is like a huge deal. And of course, you missed that guy. And then Jalen McCullough, who's one of their starting safeties, didn't play that in that game for an off-field incident that actually seems like it's it's not as big a deal as it first sounded, right? He's going to be okay. He's going to be back with the team. Um, it kind of wasn't his fault. And they're working through some things at corner. But I think in the end, with as many sort of little injuries and absences that they've had, it's affected what they've done so far. But I think when they have Christian Charles and Kamal Haddon as their main corners, and they have three safeties they do believe in, I think those five guys will be good enough. And when you just glance at like, oh, they've had games where they've gotten burned. They've kind of had some guys in and out of the lineup. And when, I mean, they had two of their five best guys didn't play against Alabama. And then they get thin. I think they're a little thin there anyway. But as long as those top five are playing, I think they're okay. So I do think we have to, just like Clemson had a rough day when Sam Hartman for Wake Forest threw six touchdown passes against them, and they were missing, I think, three secondary starters in that game. And it's like, well, if your second team isn't super deep, then it really matters. But if you kind of have, if your five good guys are there, I think you're okay. That's where I am with Tennessee from a personnel standpoint. It's not great, but it's not as bad as it looked against Alabama, I would say. Yeah, I think so. And, you know, one other thing, too, to contextualize with Tennessee is, you know, they have played 
some pretty good quarterbacks so far. Like you well, said, Bryce well, that's Young. That's the point too that I was going to say. Like again, like Ohio State. Graham Mertz, what are right. we talking about? Like, yeah. throw Anthony Richardson the, the, in the Big Ten and watch pass defenses right. explode. Yeah, uh, you know, Ohio State has played the ghost of Peyton Thorne and, like, Noah Vedral. And, uh, oh, and and by the way, the great Toledo quarterback, like you mentioned. Um, but, uh, you know, Tennessee right now, right? You know, they played Keaton Slovis, who's pretty good. They played Anthony Richardson, who, by the like, another thing, too, with Anthony Richardson in that Florida game is, like, that game was over and Florida scored a bunch of points down at the end that kind of didn't really matter that much. But, you know, so like that hurt their stats. So I, I think that when you look at it in context, like Bryce Young was the one quarterback who really sort of went off against them because he's Bryce Young and that's what he does. So I, I'm not super concerned with the Tennessee pass defense. Now, it's not a strength of the team, right? Like it's not. You're not going to win your no. games because Tennessee plays good pass defense. But that this is the thing, right? I, I will say, just as one aside, it's kind of funny having this discussion and like hearing this national discussion because I was literally a student at Baylor in 2014 and everybody told me about how all this stuff was bad. And now everybody's telling me about how all of these ideas are actually very good. But, uh, you know, when you can give the ball back to your offense and give them a chance to make plays, that's a good thing. And that's enough. And that's all you really have to do when you have an offense like what Tennessee has. I do think the context, I think, matters here. Because, like, they gave up 269 passing yards to Ball State, 241 passing yards to Akron in games that they won by 50. So, like, that's yeah. actually, like, a pretty decent amount of passing yards. But it it doesn't matter. And then, like, good Anthony Richardson. Like, good Anthony Richardson, when he's good, it's about as good as it gets. And you watch that Florida game. He threw for 453 in that game, 24 of 44. There were some broken tackles. You can see like sometimes they get a little loose in letting the big plays pop when the first or second guy misses a tackle. Um, obviously, that that's a lingering issue, I think. But it's not a ton of blown coverages. It's Anthony Richardson stepping up in the pocket and ripping throws. It's some sideline shots where guys are winning 50-50 balls. 453 is a lot. There was a, probably two drives against kind of kind of like a prevent defense at the end of the game. But it it's it's almost understand it's like a it's like an understandable 453 if that's possible because good Anthony Richardson again it's like if you drop a a guy out of the sky into the Big 10 if you dropped Anthony Richardson into the Big 10 West I think half the coaches would quit tomorrow. Kirk Ferentz would be like, I'm done. How can we stop a guy like that? What are we going to do? Which is the same thing they see with C.J. Stroud. But if you had another quarterback like that, so again, that's – that's, I, I don't give him a pass for giving up 453 to Florida, but it it didn't really cost them the game. Like they had a – Tennessee had a muff punt in that game. They had a blocked punt in that game, and they still were up two scores with three minutes left, you know, and Florida scored with th- with 30 seconds left and then did an onside kick and stuff. So that game was not as, it didn't cost, it really didn't come close to costing him the game that, that Anthony Richardson threw for a bunch of yards. And then 455 for Bryce Young. Bryce Young makes miracles happen. Right. And <laughs> right. they were missing two of their five starters in the secondary. Yep. But I do think they get a decent pass rush, right? They're up there in tackles for loss in the SEC. They're up there in sacks in the SEC. They're uh, fourth in the SEC in sacks per game at 2.5. They're third in the SEC in tackles for loss per game at 6.5. When there there are some money downs where they'll get to the quarterback. Now, again, sometimes Bryce Young and Anthony Richardson and guys like that get away, just like Hendon Hooker gets away for Tennessee on the other side. But when you when you watch them, as much as you can point to some of the stats, there weren't a gazillion. You can watch like, versus Tennessee. They've had some teams absolutely blow coverages and guys are open by 10 yards for a 50-yard catch and run. It doesn't look disastrous to me when you think about the Tennessee pass defense. And again, we're starting with this because it is the weak point. And you say, is it such a weak point that it blows a hole in their hopes? And my conclusion is no. I think it can be good enough. And again, if if they have to face Caleb Williams from USC or Bryce Young again, or C.J. Stroud in Ohio State on the way to the national title, they'll be tested. But can they slow those offenses down enough to give Hendon Hooker and the Tennessee offense a chance to outscore them? I think the answer is yes. 
Yeah. And, you know, one one game that I'll point to is uh, Tennessee's 40-13 to win over LSU. You know, EPA does a good job of taking into account situational statistics, right? Like, it is based on when you're facing second and whatever. Like, it gives you credit for achieving a certain amount, right? But all that said, you know, so it does take into account context. You know, Jalen Daniels threw for 300 yards. But the reason that Jalen Daniels threw for 300 yards is because LSU's running backs went 12 carries for 17 yards. So they've been really good against the run, and teams have kind of opened it up with the pass because they have no real other recourse to to move the ball against this Tennessee defense. So for me, I'm not especially worried about those passing numbers. I think that they're going to be fine. Uh, obviously, you have to compete a little bit against literally Ohio State, you know, I mean, but but I think that out dueling Alabama and causing Bryce Young some issues and, and the game was not easy for Bryce Young watching that game. He had to do a lot to make things happen. And I, I think that's plenty. I, I think that's plenty. One one other stat that's not great. They are 112th in the nation in pass plays of 20 yards or more allowed. They've given up 28. So that that is a lot. But again, again, I think the LSU one's important context. You said everyone kind of made a big deal um, that they gave up 300 passing yards in that game. LSU scored 13. It was 40 to 13. So it's empty passing yards. It didn't lead to anything. So th- so that's it. You, you, you just take all of this into account. Now what they do well. It It's one of these things. Tennessee is a power. Tennessee is a great traditional college football team that had vanished off the map for 20 years, basically. But now that they have a competent head coach in Josh Heupel and they have a super dynamic quarterback in Hendon Hooker who can throw it and run it and lead and do everything else, it's like, oh, by the way, they've got a bunch of dudes at receiver. And it's sort of like, how do they get all these receivers? But you look at this passing attack, Shahan, and every single part of it is real. Ohio State's is still the best in the country, but Tennessee is is a strong second, I think, and it's multiple guys, and I think they will be able to do that against anybody because they've been able to do it so far against everybody. I'll tell you what, uh, for Alabama, you know, there were three safeties that we were considering for All-America consideration for midseason All-America. And after that game, it was like, oh boy, but that's how good Tennessee's offense is, right? They played against a good secondary in Alabama and made it look easy. Now, yes, obviously they had coverage busts. Obviously they had issues. Uh, I mean, you don't allow one player to score five touchdowns without having some miscommunications on the back end. But that's also because this team is good enough to make that happen. The one team that I'm probably a little concerned about this against is just Georgia because Georgia is obviously able to make things so difficult, uh, you know, on the front end. But, you know, I think that if they can make things happen, they still can attack on the back end when they play a Clemson or when they play an Ohio State. I absolutely think they're going to be able to move the ball like they did against Alabama. And that's a big deal. You look at these guys who are leading them in receiving. Jalen Hyatt had five touchdowns uh, against Alabama. He leads them with um, 33 receptions for 595 yards this year. He is a guy who was a top 200 national recruit in the class of 2020. Six feet, 185, looks the part. Brew McCoy, their second leading receiver, 22 receptions for 389. He was a five-star recruit in the class of 2019, had this really weird path where he was at USC and he was at Texas. He had some off-field stuff. He winds up at Tennessee, 6'3", 220, absolutely looks the part. Ramel Keaton, 6'3", 195. He is a top 100, basically, national recruit in the class of 2019. He is 15 catches for 280. There, And then Cedric Tillman uh, is a really veteran guy who's their fourth guy, 17 catches for 246. There are four top receivers. Shahan, all average, uh, 14.5 yards per reception or more. And then Princeton Fant is a real threat for them at tight end, who also, again, looks the part. I, I'm not sure how you cover all these guys. Right. This is not this is not um, smoke and mirrors here. These are these are guys who can go up and win balls in the air. These are guys who are winning with their routes, who are 
you know, Hendon Hooker throws them open sometimes, but he also gives them chances to make plays. I, I don't know that anyone's, again, would you take them ahead of Marvin Harrison Jr. and Jackson Smith and Jigba and Emeka Egbuka and Julian Fleming at Ohio State? No, but but it's real. Like all of like that passing attack is one thousand percent real with the variety of guys that you can't key on one guy and try to take him away, and uh, it feels like they're almost still like getting going a little bit. I think there's more there. Yeah, and and uh, you know just to you know again talk a little bit about that offense because obviously I, I have a lot of familiarity with it. A lot of it is just based on the ability of guys to win one-on-one matchups. And that's what you have to credit Tennessee for. Is they have a lot of guys who can win one-on-one battles, who can streak down the field, who can create space for this offense to work. And I think that when you also have a quarterback in Hendon Hooker who can make plays with his feet, it makes guarding this offense so miserable because you have to be responsible for everything. You have to worry about every single aspect of this offense. Um, and, and you have to cover all 11 players on the field at one time. So I, I think that Tennessee's receivers are more than good enough to hang, right? Like this is, this is an offense that really emphasizes that, emphasizes speed, emphasizes uh, being able to out-physical your matchups. And, uh, you know, it's really impressive to me, especially with Cedric Tillman out of the lineup this past week, by the way, who's their number one receiver. Uh, it was really impressive to me how much space they were able to create. And I think that, you know, like you said, you wouldn't take it over Ohio State's receiver core. I'd probably take it over every other receiver core in the country. Yeah. Two-headed monster at running back that works. And then Hendon Hooker rushes for about 40 yards per game. And as you said, like they are incredibly 47.8 yards per game rushing for Hendon Hooker. Incredibly valuable. Oh, he just absolutely destroys defenses. He's the kind of guy who will, there's probably three plays a game that the defense thinks is going to be a sack and instead turns into a run of 10 plus yards for Tennessee because he is great at escaping and they will call QB draw, QB power enough times to keep a defense honest. He's a threat when he runs and he slings it, man. Like he's got, he's got everything you want. And when he threw a pick against Alabama, it was his first pick of the year, and like you were almost shocked by it. You were like, I can't believe that happened because this guy's so good. So again, the idea that – and again, this applies, I think, to guys like C.J. Stroud and Bryce Young and stuff too, that you're so dynamic, but that you're also so careful with the ball, You know that you're not, you're not a gunslinger. You are incredibly efficient, but also incredibly dangerous and able to take shots without putting your offense in danger. And so um, – I, I do when you think right, I mean, if we thought coming into the year that the top group of quarterbacks in the country was Bryce Young, CJ Stroud, and Caleb Williams, I mean Hendon Hooker's in that group, right? I mean, obviously, he might be at the top of that group, but I mean he is he gives you everything you want with the level of quarterback play. It's national championship level quarterback play. Right. You know, right this second, I, I believe we have our picks coming out in the next couple of days on CBSSports.com. You know, right now, Hendon Hooker is my Heisman favorite. He, he is the guy, I think he has his Heisman moment. I think that he's been that important to a team that's number three in the country right now. You know, look, in a vacuum, is, is Hendon Hooker as good as Joe Burrow? No, but what he does in the context of this team, in the context of this offense, the way that he makes it unguardable, I think is is up there with any quarterback in the country and any player in the country. And, and you know, one thing too, you know, this, this offense, the way that it's kind of structured it really, in order to run the ball, it really requires spacing. You know, this is not a pure, you know, run blocking sort of team. This, this is a, a, a run blocking sort of team that you create space with your receivers. You really gap them out. And, and I think that, you know, against a team like Alabama or Georgia, that's probably, you know, that, that's probably in a normal world, not necessarily going to work the same way when they have so many guys who can clog those lanes. Well, I think that that's where Hooker makes them unguardable is that he is that extra run threat that they have to account for on every single play. Like you said, you know, they're taking him outside. He's obviously willing to scramble when the opportunity is there. It's impressive stuff. And I think that, uh, that he is the secret sauce in a lot of ways that takes this offense from pretty good to, oh man, I don't even think Alabama can guard this. November 5th at Georgia. It is the game of the year. At this point, you look at Georgia, they are uh, seventh, I believe, 
in the nation in defensive EPA, but they're fourth in run defense and 25th in pass defense. Now they got some dudes in the back end, right? I mean, they have they have some guys who can cover. I'll be really curious about that matchup. Stetson Bennett's been solid. It has, I think, some ups and downs, but you look at the stats. He only has seven touchdown passes this year, but he's efficient. You know, he throws for like 280 every game pretty much. Uh, but you saw that close game that they played with Missouri where Georgia really was – Almost lost. Almost probably should have lost. Um, tested kind of in a weird way by Kent State. When I think about the Georgia-Tennessee game right now, I certainly don't view it as an impossible task for Tennessee to go into Georgia and win that game. And I actually am kind of wondering, I don't know, as good as Georgia's defense is, I don't think Georgia's going to slam the door on the Hendon-Hooker offense. And then I have a couple questions about whether Georgia, frankly, can keep up. So I'll be curious to see like what the line is when we get to that game. But it does not seem insurmountable to me because what seemed, even though the, the the game against Alabama was at home, and I think it really mattered. I don't know if they win that game at Alabama. I think maybe they needed that game to be at home for Tennessee to win. But that's Bryce Young. And it took all of the magic of Bryce Young to, to for Bama to score with Tennessee. I don't think Georgia can do that. I don't think Georgia can play a game in the 40s or 50s against Tennessee and hang and I certainly kind of don't expect Georgia to keep Tennessee in the 20s. So I actually sort of have – I'm not sure exactly what a – I'm not saying Georgia can't win. I'm not sure what the what the score is of a Georgia victory in that game, what it looks like, because I just think Hendon Hooker might post 35 against most defenses, and, and then it's on Stetson Bennett to put up 38, and I don't know if they can. Well, I think for me, you know, if I'm Todd Monken, uh, I think that it's ball control, ball control, ball control. You know, it's trying to be slow and steady. It's trying to hold the ball for seven minutes a drive. And I think that George is capable of doing that. The one thing that you have to give Tennessee is that Tennessee, again, has defended the run very well. That's probably going to make things a little bit more complicated. And look, this Georgia team has not been perfect by any means. You know, they should have lost to Missouri. They had a, a game against Penn State that was way closer than it should have been. This has not been a perfect football team. And and at this point, you know, they beat Oregon 49-3 in the opener, and they've kind of sleptwalked through the rest of the year in a lot of ways. So this is not a perfect team. This is not the Georgia team from last season. Like you said, I mean, a lot of their ability to defend their pass so far this season has just been that they can get pressure on the quarterback. Well, you know, Tennessee's offensive line is playing really high-quality football right now. If they can keep Hendon Hooker clean, maybe Tennessee only has eight drives in the game against Georgia, but... I think they have a chance to score some points on four or five of them, and that's probably enough. We spent a lot of time last year thinking about Ohio State offense versus Georgia defense. Wouldn't that be cool? Wouldn't that be a fun playoff matchup? I'm kind of thinking now Ohio State offense versus Tennessee offense. I kind of want to see these two passing attacks get on the field and just chuck it at each other. And two defenses that, you know, Ohio State's defense is better. And that would be an edge if you were trying to break down Ohio State, Tennessee right now. And that, the reason we're using Ohio State as that context is because Ohio State, we both think, is the best team in the country right now. And Tennessee's playing the other two best teams. They just beat Bama and they're going to play Georgia. So it's like the 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 theoretical, like the, the hypothetical matchup is Tennessee, Ohio State, that you'd have to wait for the playoff to get that. Ohio State's defense is better, but I don't know that Ohio State's defense is so much better that you would make Ohio State like an overwhelming favorite in that game because I would imagine that both offenses would kind of have their way because even what Ohio State's doing well on defense where they all where they do seem vulnerable is at corner and Tennessee with their four dudes at receiver would go out and try to exploit that. It's so interesting for me to try to evaluate how Ohio State's defense would play against an offense like this because – I mean, again, you, you kind of have to, like, they're playing really high-quality defense right now, but it is against teams that are pretty horrific offensively at the same time. So, like, I, I don't know. It's hard to, like, if you're playing an average team, I definitely am taking Ohio State's defense over Tennessee. But when you are playing on that high end, does, does it matter that much? I don't know the answer to that. And and so I think, you know, because, again, on paper, right, Ohio State right at the second is basically a, perfect team almost with just the way that they played so far this year. But, you know, we're really, I mean, I don't want to say that we won't know anything about them for sure until November 26th, but kind of, we kind of won't know anything about them until November 26th. 
and this is it's two different conversations. It, one is like how you vote Ohio State, how you what credit you give them, and, and it can feel like you're moving the goalposts when it's like, well, it seemed like Notre Dame and Wisconsin and Michigan State were all going to be good opponents, and then it turns out they're not that good, and Ohio State handled them, and now they don't get credit for it. No, they still do get credit for it. We think they're the number one team in the country. But when you're having a big-picture discussion of like, okay, right, that, that Tennessee has faced Bryce Young and Anthony Richardson, and Ohio State has faced Tyler Buckner, James Blackman, Daquan Finn, Graham Mertz, Noah Verdell, and Peyton Thorne. And that's just not the same thing. So we can say that, right? And that you won't, you just won't know exactly for sure. And again, oh, it's not like Tennessee faced Anthony Richardson and Bryce Young and did not stop them. So, so it's not like, but they survived. They found a way to beat them without really stopping them. So that would be the question. It's not, you're not playing for EPA defensive stats. You play to win the game. So... Ohio State's winning. Tennessee is winning. Now, I didn't, I didn't know that I felt this, Shahan, coming into this discussion, but now I want it. Now this is what I want. I want C.J. Stroud, Hendon Hooker. I want Ohio State receivers versus Tennessee receivers. I want this matchup, and I want these guys to chuck it around on each other. It'd be awesome. Wouldn't it be awesome? Let's do this. I want this now. This is what I want. Please, can we have it? It would be awesome. Can't wait for Tennessee to lose to, like, I don't know, know. Kentucky or something and just completely ruin everything and make it bad. I, they, they, uh, yeah, they play Kentucky on October 29th. They play at South Carolina. What, what if Spencer Rattler ruins this? What if after oh, all of this, Spencer Rattler is the guy who ruins this? But, I mean, they serve, they're, they're tougher stretches then, right? UT Martin this week, Kentucky, Georgia, Missouri, South Carolina, Vanderbilt. Like, that is really doable. And, again, if they're – and we had a long discussion – and we did a great – if you guys are not Apple Podcast subscribers, I th- uh, we do the bonus episode every week. I thought our, ours this week was really fun and interesting. We did a draft of playoff teams and conference championship teams. There's a point system where you get a point if you make the conference championship game, another point if you win the conference championship, another if you make the playoff, another if you're the national title pick. And it was a lot of strategy of where do you pick Tennessee and where do you pick South Alabama – but the issue that did come up for Tennessee and is going to be ongoing is if they lose to Georgia, could they make the playoff as an 11-1 team not in the SEC title game? And I think maybe they can. The tough thing about that, Shahan, is the committee often in the past has liked balance. And th- and if, th- if this is a really offense-heavy team, again, they're one of five – teams that are in the top 25 in both. So it's not as unbalanced as you might think initially, but if the defense really continues to struggle and start, you know, gives up 400 passing yards to Spencer Rattler, I, I think the committee will ding them a little bit for that. It's going to matter who else is in the in contention for the fourth spot. But if they lose to Georgia and get in as a four seed, that, pro- that probably actually would be potentially an Ohio State-Tennessee matchup. Ohio State is the one seed. Tennessee is the four seed. They'd have a shot. They'd be a dangerous four seed if they got in. So, And I, and I think they could. It's not do or die against Georgia because they got this winning. They had to beat one of the two. They had to beat Bama or Georgia, and they got one of the wins. So they've got a shot. And if they – bottom line, and we'll end this to Tennessee discussion with this. Can they win the national title in your mind? I think they can. It's like probably a five to ten percent chance. Like it's not a very big chance, but it's greater than zero percent. And you know, like a lot of the teams that we have in this discussion right now, right? USC, I think it is a zero percent chance that they can win the national title. Clemson, I think it's like a 0.5 percent chance that they can win the national title. I think that Georgia, I think that uh, Tennessee rather is capable of winning the national title. Again, okay, maybe five percent, but. You know, right now it's like 80% Ohio State and 20% split among everybody else. And I think that they're right there in that contender group. Yeah, I give them, I give them a little higher than that because part of the thing is with Hooker is that he can get out of trouble. So you think like if we get that kind of quarterback that he's such a good thrower, but he also can escape and make plays – um, I think raises the level against the best teams in the country because you just don't know. You might do everything right to stop that guy and it won't be enough. One more thing. Everybody go watch a Virginia Tech football game this weekend. It's going to be awful. You're going to hate it. And then remember that Virginia Tech was like, we probably don't need this handed hooker guy. Isn't it amazing how quarterback is so important and teams are so bad 
at evaluating it sometimes, even when it's right in front of their eyes. They still can't figure it out. So that's life, man. If you could, if you could make a a hundred percent with certainty algorithm for identifying good future quarterbacks, um, you'd be a gazillionaire. And uh, instead, we're in a world where people don't know what to do with Will Levis and Hendon Hooker. Okay. When we come back, we will do our rankings of our 10 playoff contenders next on the College Football Survivor Show. The College Football Survivor Show, where playoff survival is always on the line. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. All right, Doug and Shahan back. So again, you can read Shahan J. Haraj at CBS Sports. We hope you're doing that. You can follow us on Twitter at CFB Survivor Show. We hope you're doing that so you can vote uh, in our polls each week, who should be in, who should be out. We also send little clips from the show there. So, hey, I'm going to give you a reason. Get subscribed, right? Apple, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts. This this free show drops there every week. And then again, it's $2.99 a month for the bonus episode. I was driving. I had some long drives uh, last week, Shahan. And so when I drive, I think, and I mapped out kind of our bonus episodes for like the, le- the next two months. And I'm super excited about them, actually. So on that, we're going to get a little weird. We're going to get a little off the beaten path, but always with an eye towards the playoff and the best teams in college football. $2.99 a month. You get four bonus episodes. That's through Apple Podcasts. We'd love to have you join us there. Our rankings. Do you have Ohio State number one still? I do. I do. Like I said, they've basically been a perfect football team through the first couple weeks of the season. We can, you know, haggle over how strong or not strong their schedule has been, but they have showed zero weaknesses. And I can't really say that about anybody else. Iowa is. Iowa is. But here, here's the only thing. Here's the only thing. Their pass defense is ranked fifth in the country by EPA. Riley Moss is a real dude in the secondary. Jack Campbell's a real dude at linebacker. I'm just, I'm a little curious if they still absolutely positively steamroll, right? Which I you would expect. Iowa's going to score negative points offensively. But it's one of these things. It's hard with Big Ten defenses. They're always pretty good statistically. And it's like, well, is it just because they don't play any good quarterbacks? And so it's fake. I don't think the Iowa defense is fake, Right. It's it's a different animal than what you're seeing at Clemson or Georgia or Alabama. But I I, I think it it might it impress me even like five percent more if C.J. Stroud throws six first half touchdown passes against Iowa as opposed to doing it against Michigan State or Rutgers or teams like that. I'm just trying to because, again, it's not Ohio State's fault. They can only do what they do. They played Notre Dame. In the preseason, it's not like they're trying to avoid this stuff. And they played Wisconsin as one of their crossovers with the West. It's not their fault, but that's who they play this week. They have to play who they play. Do you have Tennessee second after we just had that long discussion about Tennessee? I do. I have the number two. As do I. So we agree on that. Ohio State one, Tennessee two. Do you have Georgia third? I do. Agree there. Now, who do you have fourth? I'm not going to ask you on this because I'm not sure. Who do you have fourth? I have Clemson fourth. Uh, I do have Michigan fifth, who I think is who you were going to ask about. Uh, you know, impressive, impressive win over Penn State. I think Clemson still just got a little bit of a better resume at this point. I would like to see them play each other. That would be a super fun game. Like if if in the 12-team playoff world, that would be like a great, um, like, I'm trying to do the math. So 5-12, like seven, I can't even do it, like seven, 10 game or eight, nine game potentially, or somehow if you got to like a, I guess more like a quarterfinal, if it was like a three, six, maybe I'd just be a, a three, six probably would make more sense. That'd be a great game. No, it would be a four or five because I think that Michigan would be the best at large. And I think that, uh, I think that Clemson would be the fourth conference champion. So it would be a good okay. four or five. game. Okay. I'll buy that. No, that makes me want to have the 12 team playoff right now. To get that four or five matchup. No, that makes more sense. Since you have them, 
you have Clemson four and Michigan five. I have Cl- Michigan four and Clemson five. And I was like, would it be a seven ten? No, it would be a four five. You ding dong. Okay, who do you have six? <laughs> I have. Th- this is I. I will say it gets a little like. So there's five, and then like now this second group could kind of go any direction. I still have Alabama six. I have Bama six as well, and I I would stick them on the bottom of the top group rather than at the top of the second group, mostly because of Bryce Young. It's just, I don't, it's like Bryce Young misses one game and I was like, yeah, they'll be fine against Texas A&M. And I was like, oh no, they're not fine. And then Bryce Young comes back and it's like, oh yeah, he's unbelievable. So I was just reminded here, that's my brilliant analysis. I had to watch Bryce Young against Tennessee to be like, oh, that's right. He's very, very good. So for that reason, I have them sixth, but closer to five than seven. Who do you have seven? I have UCLA seven. All right. Why don't you just do your seven, eight, nine, ten, and then we'll talk. So I have, uh, and again, I view these teams as being very close to each other, but UCLA seven, USC eight, TCU nine, Oklahoma State ten. So I also have Oklahoma State 10 and TCU 9, and I have USC and UCLA flip-flopped. So you have UCLA 7, USC 8. I have USC 7, UCLA 8. I'm very eager for that game. I'm very eager. And this is one of these things, you moving the goalposts. It's like, well, UCLA, so they beat Utah. Like, I think Utah's really good. And they beat Utah, but I'm really eager for this UCLA-Oregon game this week because I think we, if UCLA beats Oregon... I think we might have to have a decent-sized UCLA discussion next week. Not quite at the Tennessee level, but maybe not that far from the Tennessee level. Of like, okay, they still have the USC game ahead, but they've beaten Utah and Oregon. Like, how much would this translate? How real is UCLA? And if they don't beat Oregon, if Oregon wins, then I think we're, we're talking maybe about Oregon next week. Of like, hey, all right, we get it. They got blown out by Georgia, but like how much could this translate? So a super huge game in the Pac-12 this week. Again, Clemson, Syracuse, right? Super interesting. UCLA, Oregon, super interesting. We just had an unbelievable weekend. We've got a really interesting weekend still coming up. We already said the Big 12, multiple crazy Oklahoma State, Texas is this week, right? Like multiple crazy interesting games um, across college football. Just Ohio State, Iowa is not one of them, to be clear. I will say on the USC front, right? So I I still interpret USC as being a better team and being the best team in the Pac-12, right? I we I picked them much higher in our draft yesterday. I still think that they have a chance to pull it out. But from a resume perspective, UCLA is just totally on a different level right this second than USC. USC's best win right now is, you know, a decent Washington State team is probably where you're looking. And UCLA in the last two weeks, beat Utah by 10 points and beat Washington in a game that wasn't as close as the final score. And again, you know, they're going to have a chance to really prove themselves and probably, you know, if UCLA beats Oregon next week, they move into that top five group for me, right? I think that they do. I think they clearly move ahead of what Alabama's at right now if they're able to beat Oregon by a convincing number. You know, and again, USC, I still think it's probably a better team, but you just, you look at what they've done so far. I think that UCLA, in my mind, has to be ahead and UCLA has the one-point win over South Alabama where they probably should have lost. And it's like, ah, South Alabama. And then in our draft on the Apple show, you you picked South Alabama. And I was like, dang it, I really wanted South Alabama. So, I mean, actually, maybe it's a good win. Quality win. Quality win for UCLA over South Alabama. Who knows? Okay, um, that's it for this edition of the College Football Survivor Show. We'd love to see you on Twitter. We'd love to see you get subscribed to the show. We'd really love to see you be an Apple Podcast subscriber for $2.99 a month to get those four bonus episodes. Again, um, I got some I got some crazy ideas there. And we, we got to see like what happens. We don't want to do crazy ideas and skip what matters in college football, but we got some plans. So we'd love to see you over there. Make sure you're reading Shahan for now. For Shahan J. Haraja, I'm Doug Maurice, and that was the College Football Survivor Show. The College Football Survivor Show, where playoff survival is always on the line.